Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I've created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Mental health, marriage and divorce, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics that we discuss here. Let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful. Am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hey there, welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey and welcome to May already. How are we already in May? Time could slow down just a little bit, I think. But actually, in all honesty, I am pretty happy it is May because here in Canada and where I live, it means that camping season has begun and that makes this glamper very, very happy. But I will now definitely be keeping my eyes and ears open for wildlife a little more closely, especially after the crazy scary encounter I had over the weekend. If you haven't heard or seen the photos yet, be sure and check out my Facebook or Instagram accounts at Ms. Tiff Vaughn and you'll see what I mean. Yeah, I had a very scary encounter with a mama and baby moose and I thought for sure that I was going to get trampled by the mama. I was right in the direct line of her baby and she stared me down and yeah, sheer, sheer terror. And I cannot believe how bad I was shaking and yeah, it took a while for, for me to calm down. That's for sure. Anyway, on to today's episode. I quite literally have been wanting to share this story with you for about eight months. My friend Gina is here and I first heard her story back in August, 2020 and knew that it needed to be shared with the world. When she told me her story, I was left speechless. And I know for me, that is, that's hard. But it also made me realize how having perseverance and a strong faith in God, you can survive and thrive in ways that you didn't believe was possible. Certain people are placed in your life at the exact moment that they are needed for your journey. And I thank God and the universe for putting this woman, this friend, in mine. Here is my interview with Gina. Hello, Gina. How are you? I am doing good, Tiffany. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you and talk to you. I have quite literally been waiting for this interview for eight months. And I know it's all in divine timing when this um, interview was to happen. And it is happening now. And I'm so excited. And the reason I'm so excited is because back in the end of summer last year, uh, we were wrapping up the made to do this program and I had made a video, a slideshow kind of thing of why, why I loved made to do this program and what I got out of it and all of that stuff. Right. And then Gina reaches out to me to talk to me about maybe helping her put something together to tell her story And so Gina and I hopped on a Zoom call and Gina told me this story and oh my goodness, I don't even, there are no words actually to describe your story other than resilience and faith and love. And yeah, I can't wait for people to hear it 
and to be inspired by you and what you are now going to be building. So where would you like to start, Gina? <laughs> well, first of all, I wanted to say that I was very inspired by you and that feeling comfortable with you to share my story. And it's not like it's something that is always easy when you have a you know a hard story, mm -hmm. but you know that it, there's something in that story. And so I really appreciate you and how how just your demeanor comes across and you're so caring. That gave me that space to, to talk with you about it because the divine timing is awesome because it, I've actually in those eight months kind of re even defined kind of what's going to come out of my story. And so that's where I know that it's the right time. Yeah, so yeah. Exciting to share that. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, one thing about me is I am a data geek, a data head, and <laughs> I love science and I love studying the brain. And so I do know that between zero, between zero and seven, years old is is the prime time that your brain actually gets what is going to be kind of determined in the subconscious mm -hmm. and that is where a lot of what we live off of 90 percent of what we do and the decisions we make are from our subconscious but those are developed in those really key years and it's when we don't have the verbal skills and we don't have the ability to fully understand what's happening to us. And so we make these decisions in, about ourselves based off of some of our experience. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of those experiences that kind of shaped then the rest of my growing up years into my teens and, and into being a mom. And I'm going to be really uh, gentle with how I talk about my family because we all have our own story. So mm -hmm. I'm sharing my story from my perspective and my purpose is really to um, encourage other people and not, you know, make my family members nervous or exactly. feel bad about themselves or anything like that, because it's all our own story. And yeah. that's something I'm learning. So, you know, when I was a kid, I always knew from very little that there was a, a, there was a God. I just, I had a pulling to it. And I would say that that is a string that you're going to, you're going to hear through my stories. Cause even when I was really little, and I can tell you that between the ages of uh, zero and seven, there was a real lack of nurture in my household. Um, and there was a lack of awareness on how, what I was witnessing with my siblings and in my family actually imprinted in my brain and nobody knew that back then we know it now. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of some of those real struggles, I didn't have um, a lot of confidence and I lived kind of isolated in my own little world in my mind. And I lived in a state of worry. And, um, but I always knew that there was a God. And so I always, there was a string of, of security in that didn't know what it was about, but I just kind of held on to that. And I think that's what kind of kept my sanity through the years. Yeah. And one of the um, turning points in that was my grandfather, who was the only man that I really felt loved and truly cared about. You know, he was like my hero. He passed away when I was seven. And so that was really traumatic for me because I couldn't understand um, I couldn't understand what death was. I didn't understand what was happening. I remember praying and thinking, oh, well, if God can save him because I love him so much and that didn't happen. And so that was really kind of the trauma for me as well. But the blessing in that is that my grandmother moved in with us mm -hmm. and um, my mom had started going back to work when I was really little, like right when I started back going back to school. And so my grandmother had moved in and that was a huge blessing because she was there every day after school. She made me a chicken pot pie or a grilled cheese sandwich or something was sitting there on the table for me when I came home. She had really great conversations with me for the first you know, five or 10 minutes when I came home. So I felt welcomed in the, in the home. But prior to that, when I was really little, I was in kindergarten and I can remember sitting in the principal's office and my little legs were dangling from this big adult chair and my mom was sitting there and I got some adult information. I got the information that um, I was, my mother was told that I had a learning disability 
and that I wasn't going to be able to learn like other children and that she needed to prepare for that. As a kid, wow, I'm thinking I can't learn. I just mm-hmm. got an, I'm in an adult chair and I just got this adult dose of a diagnosis from somebody that I maybe talked to three times, you know, mm-hmm. I was in kindergarten, never knew the principal and we believed it. So my parents believed it and I believed it. And that kind of set the stage for a lot of um, bullying growing up, a lot of uh, thinking that I was retarded, that I was stupid. I was put in special ed classes from then on out all the way through high school and felt um, damaged, felt that, that I could never, never become anything, you know? And I, I'm so thankful that my grandmother was there because I think I probably would have really turned on myself if I would have had her love. Right. But going through that in high school and feeling like, you know, I'm getting a 3.8 in these classes. Um, I'm not being challenged because I'm told I can't learn, but I'm doing the best that I can. I started to feel really negative about myself and started doing drugs. So I was about, I think I was in... Uh, I was a, a sophomore and it started out with, um, you know, smoking a little bit of pot and then not wanting to go to class. So then I had to take some speed so that I could wake up and go to class. And so it was this counteractive um, situation I was in of just not feeling like I was worth anything. And I ended up dropping my first period class. So I went to my mom and I I don't know, I made up a story and she signed a piece of paper. She didn't even read it. And then I ended up dropping my second period class. And so I went back to my mom and told her some story and she believed it and signed a waiver and I dropped that class. So I dropped my first uh, three classes. And so I was really just going to school, hanging out, getting high. And, and then I would uh, go to lunch and then I would go to my last couple of classes. One day, my, uh, my choir teacher um, saw me in the hallway. And uh, he came up to me and he said, am I next? And I was like, what are you talking about? And you have to understand I was high. Okay. So <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm sweating. I'm like, what is he talking about? You know? Yeah. And I said, he said, am I next? And I was like, well, what do you mean next? And he said, are you dropping my class next? Is mm-hmm. that, is that the next step? Because uh, you've dropped your classes. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you can turn this around. And I'm telling you, one person coming right up to you and stepping in like that and believing in you changed my whole direction. I went back and got my classes. I re-enrolled back into my classes. I stopped doing drugs. That next day, that was it. I was just like, if he wow. knows I'm doing this, then everybody knows I'm doing this, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, at the end of, it was probably maybe a month later, he came back to me and he just said, I'm proud of you. That's all he had to say to me. That's all I was needing as a kid, right? It was yeah. somebody to believe that I could do something and then tell me they were proud. And so that was, you know, um, really helpful. And at that point in time, um, I decided that I needed to get a job. I was in high school and I wanted to get a job and um, I was encouraged to go get a job at McDonald's by my parents because that was going to be kind of my career path was, you know, this would be a really good career. Go work at McDonald's and be a manager. College wasn't an option. College wasn't even a conversation. The fact that I could get a job at a McDonald's was um, felt, they felt viable. You know, they felt like that could be good. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody retested me all through high school. Nobody, you know, I was getting good grades, but it was in special classes. So, you know, there was no push to see, hey, does she really have a learning disability? And this really is on my parents because they believed what they were told, right? They Mm -hmm. were concerned. I was behaving as if I couldn't learn. Um, Later on, we figured out why, but, you know, at that point in time, we didn't know. And um, so I became, I I, I started working at 14 and a half, 15, and I was the, became the youngest store manager that they ever had because I had a manager who believed in me mm-hmm. and that's all it took. So I had a manager who was like, you know, uh, you, know you, you could do this job. You should become a manager and train me and brought me up to the point where I, the day that they, um, we did this little celebration in the, in the store about how I was going to be a manager. 
they went back and checked and realized that I wasn't even old enough. I was only 17 and I couldn't be a shift manager until I was 18. But they were like, well, we're going to give you the uniform and we're going to give you the badge because <laughs> we already just told everybody that you're the manager. Yeah. But you got to kind of like wait this out and then we can give you the pay raise and you can be a manager. We can't let you be alone on the floor. And during that point in time, I met a guy and um, I ended up um, out of rebellion, thinking that the only way really out of my house and out of the discomfort I was experiencing would be to find a guy who would take care of me. And so I um, made a poor choice in why I was choosing and how I cho chose this, this young man. And I met him through a dance club and ended up being pregnant. And so right before I actually even became a shift manager, now I was a young girl who is now pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I remember during that time, believing that was my only option. And one of my brothers had called me up, uh, my brother, Dan, and he had warned me. He said, you know, this isn't this isn't a really good decision. You're, you know, you're, you're making some really poor decisions and I don't know what's going on with you, but you're making poor decisions. I can remember sitting on the phone in my parents' room, having this discussion with my brother. This is years ago, right? But that's how important he was and what he was saying. But unfortunately, I was too gone. I was too believing that I didn't have the skills. I, I felt like, but Dan, you don't understand. Yeah. Like you're a guy you, you have the skill set to make money. I don't, I don't want to work McDonald's for the rest of my life. I'm going to need a guy to take care of me. So because I was pregnant and my father was not happy with that decision, um, I became homeless at 18. He gave me uh, the alternative to, um, you know, that I was going to make different choices with the child or I needed to move out. So I was um, instantly homeless. When he found out I was six months pregnant, I was able to hide it from my family until he found out. And, um, I was homeless and lived in shelters and cars and, uh, couch surfed until she, um, was actually nine months old. Wow. Yeah. So from being six months pregnant to nine months old, and I have to tell you, there was a huge blessing that happened to me is my um, older brother and his wife, they found a family that would take me in right before my baby was born and let me stay there. And so the night before I delivered, I found a place to live. Otherwise wow. I was living in my car. I'm telling you the night before I unpacked all of my stuff and I went into labor. And I was so scared because they told me, you can stay here until you have the baby and then you might need to find a place. And I just remember thinking, um, I'm having the baby right now. <laughs> like, what, what, where am I going to go after? And they blessed me. They let me stay there for a few months after. And then, um, you know, I, I, I did have to go back and sleep in the car with my infant um, in the car seat. And I was working. I was working three jobs, actually. I was working at McDonald's and I was working at Kmart, which is like a Fred Meyers type store. Um, and then I would go at night and stop at JCPenney's and then sleep in the car and my boyfriend at the time would stay with her in the car and we were just really unstable for for quite a long time that relationship was a seven-year relationship that produced four of my beautiful children that i love i have no regrets whatsoever having those four kids <clears throat> i just love them so much and um but it was a it was a very isolated and um violent and scary seven years of being completely isolated from my family from any friends i couldn't connect with anyone it was to the point where he took the telephone away he took my boom box away because i was listening to amy grant and he didn't want her influencing my life <laughs> oh my uh, it was bad mm -hmm. he um <clears throat> he took uh the television the tv the the phone all these things away from me so that i couldn't have contact with the outside world and the only thing i had during that time was my little walkman that was an amfm radio and i used to crawl in the closet and listen to dr tony evans um, preach 
at 5.30 in the morning because that's when he was on the local station. And I would listen to him and it was really feeding my soul. And Because like I had said, I always knew there was a God. I was always, you know, I was raised a Catholic, so I knew what to believe and knew to, you know, how to find, um, try to find my faith. And so that really gave me a lot of um, hope that I could figure out what to do mm-hmm. and strength in that situation. <clears throat> and, you know, through those years, he was so controlling that I couldn't take all the kids with me when I would leave the house. So if somebody needed to go to the doctor, I could only take one or two with me. I could never take all of them. And there was a point in time where um, we were really poor and we didn't have food and we didn't have the things that we needed because he was not working. And I was on public assistance with four kids and there's, you know, six of us to take care of on that that he did start allowing me to go to a food bank. And that's where I met um, a a dear friend named Nancy Lowry. And Nancy, she went to the food bank too. She um, was the first friend that I could tell about what I was going through with with the domestic violence. Because most people, they would say bad things about him. They would say things about like, how can you keep your kids there? You know, and feel, and all the guilt would come on or, the, yeah, that's really stupid that I'm in this relationship. How do I explain myself out of this? So you get defensive. <clears throat> and so when someone's telling domestic violence, that someone who's in domestic violence, you need to leave because he's a jerk, that doesn't help them because they feel embarrassed. They feel uh, obligated to him. They want it to work. There's just so much in that. But Nancy, that wasn't Nancy. Nancy always brought it back to what do you want in your life, Gina? where do you see your future, right? Where do you see your kid's future? And that's all I talked about. And so as I would talk about what I wanted, I would hear what I would want it, what I wanted. And I started to realize I'm not going to get that in this relationship. My kids aren't going to get freedom. So he was to the point where they, he wouldn't let them go to school that he wanted me to homeschool because he didn't want them to talk to anyone. So when I say isolated, I need you to hear the depth of isolation was they couldn't even smile at a neighbor or he would lecture them for hours. Yeah. They couldn't go to um, inside a grocery store. They would have to sit in a car. So it was so isolated that when I finally um, realized it was time to go was when things got scary, super scary. So one afternoon, it was in the middle of the day and he was sleeping and he was sleeping out on a hide bed. And um, remember I have four little kids now. So they're ages from um, two to six. And uh, one of the daughters comes running out of the room and she's upset. And this is the most compliant daughter out of all. Okay. So if she's upset, I bet you her siblings were just being buttheads and she had a valid reason to come out, right? And be like, mom, dad, this is what's happening. So she comes out and she's just upset. Yeah. And she's trying to say something and he gets up and he slaps her to the ground so hard that you just hear it. It's just this big boom. Yeah. Our whole bodies when I say our whole bodies because I felt the ripple go through my kids and myself at the same time of fear and I thought to myself if she is severely injured we are all gone Mm -hmm. there's no coming back from this and I looked at my kids and they were frozen and they're staring and he's frozen. He's shocked at his own behavior. And I went to get up and he wouldn't let me. And so I sat back down and I, I prayed. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. I just need to know if she's okay. And so I said, I have to go to the bathroom. So he let me get up and I walked into the bathroom and I'm telling you, I sat on the bathroom floor and I held that toilet seat and I prayed. And I was like, whatever I have to do, whatever risk I have to take, I need a plan. I need to get out of this. I will do whatever I surrender. I have not been walking in faith. I've been walking out of faith. 
um, and I started like thinking of all the things that Tony Evans had been sharing <laughs> in the closet mm-hmm. and uh, thinking how I had people in my life like Nancy who would be there for me. And so I came back out and I walked past and she moved and she looked up at me and I was like, okay, she's, she's okay. I saw the other kids kind of like, ah, she's okay. And I even saw him respond of like, okay, she's okay. And he laid down. So I knew that at that point in time, this life wasn't, I was, it wasn't going to work for me, this life. And so I uh, went to bed that night. And this is a faith story that I haven't shared publicly with very many people. So I'm taking a risk here being vulnerable because I think that a lot of times um, when people hear almost unbelievable stories, then instead of it creating more faith in them, it can create doubt. And that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. I want people to hear this story because it completely changed the projection of my life. And during that time, I went to bed that night and I was asleep and it was probably, I don't know, two or three in the morning. And, um, my, my, the father of the kids was, was sleeping next to me as well. And all of a sudden there was such a bright light and heat in the room. I couldn't open my eyes, but the light was penetrating through my closed eyes. And it was so intense that all of my being just started uh, worshiping and confessing. I was like, I I can't fully explain it to you because it was too supernatural of God Mm -hmm. being present with me, but just the, whoa, this is God. This is, and I, I am such a, you know, I am doing such bad things and I am not living in your will. And I just confessed and confessed of all the things that I had done and all of, uh, all of the times where he has co- tried to call me out and I didn't listen and I didn't hear, I didn't listen to my brother, Dan, when he tried to give me a warning, I didn't listen to other people in my life. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't take the lessons from my grandmother the way that I should have. Right. So I just was like confessing. And just like in this awe sense, and I was given a three-day plan and it was, you do this on this day, you do this on the other stuff on this day, and you're going to do this stuff on this day and you're going to leave. And when you leave, I'm telling you, he's not going to see those kids again and that I am fully protecting you. All I'm asking you is do those things, those, those three days. So each day I did, it was write him a note put it in the microwave one bit right before I leave. It was pack up all the different papers and pictures. Uh, it was pack a bag to go underneath each of the kids' his beds. It was to tell Nancy I'm leaving. Um, it was to meet with my mom and ask her for a hundred dollars, buy the supplies I need and give him the change. Mm-hmm. And that once I gave him the change, he was going to get up and shower. And that was my, this, uh, this is the information I got. Okay. This is the whole story. I saw it as a vision. That's how I, I got the, what was going to happen. Um, and I was told that when he got the money, I was shown that when he got the money, he was going to shower and leave. And that was going to be my opportunity to leave. And I did all those things. And during that time, I, I told my sister-in-law, my, my brother, uh, my sister-in-law Kim and my brother Tony that I was leaving and what was going on. And they were willing to open their house for me to go to. And so I did all those things and I'm at the doorway. I actually went to a, uh, to a church and talked to a pastor in those three days as well. And he told me that if I don't leave, it's murder suicide. And he said, I know that sounds harsh, but you know, you need to, you need to step in faith. So I was at the door, I was at the doorway and I knew I needed to leave. And I got afraid because he sh- took a shower <laughs> And he left and he didn't say goodbye to the kids. And I knew he wasn't going to see them ever again, that that was it. And I felt really bad for him. And I wasn't going to leave. I was at the doorway. And um, my friend said to me, well, the pastor said it's murder, suicide. So what do you, what do you, why are we standing in the doorway? (laughs) What's the choice? And I got 
I, I felt the words of all I'm asking you to do is take this step of faith and I'm going to provide more than you can even imagine. So I pushed my kids out and they went into, two of them went into one car, a friend of ours and uh, a friend of Nancy's. And then the other two went with me in another car and we drove out and we, we left. Mm-hmm. And God was faithful for his promise and kept us safe. We were stalked. We lived in shelters. There was times he would show up, try to kidnap the kids. Um, it was, it wasn't an easy road, um, but I knew I was safe and I felt protected through that time. And during that time um, that we were homeless and that we were shifting from, you know, isolation, I, I, I can't tell all the stories and maybe, maybe in the future uh, you can hear some of those, sto- more of those stories. My kids hadn't gone outside. They didn't know what um, a McDonald's was. They didn't know what it was like to sit in a restaurant. They didn't know um, that dogs even pooped outside. Really? That is how isolated they were. So there was a lot of growth and change. But during that time, I had my sister-in-law, my brother in my life really mentoring me. I had a church body that brought blankets, gave my kids individual blankets gave them individual sleeping bags that I think they still have like one or two kids still have their blanket that this woman made and, and probably the sleeping bag somewhere. Uh, another family gave each kid their own set of towels. So like oh, wow. pink, yellow, blue, and green or some purple. Um, so they all felt special yeah. and um, really mentored me through, through that time. So even though we were homeless and everything, I felt loved. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't have a career. I didn't have money. I didn't think I could learn. I was felt like, you know, okay, now I'm, I'm, I've got my four kids, but I can't learn and steps in, uh, Cindy price. So Cindy price worked as a, for the um, department of social health services. And I went to her, she was the first person I went to when I left the situation and I handed her my welfare check. And I said, I've been lying to you about who the father is of the kids. And I don't think I can even take this. And she just looked at me, was like, I don't, I don't even like what (laughs) (laughs) nobody comes and turns in their welfare check. Like, I don't know what to do with you, girl. Um, And so she was like, well, I'm going to come back. And so she came back and she was like, I'm here for you. Take this check. I, we're going to talk weekly. We're going to like figure this out. So she helped me a ton, a ton of help giving me um, a lot of that, you know, uh, encouragement that she's seen many women with children get off welfare, that there's avenues to do that. So she was really the first person that really encouraged me that I could get off of assistance. Um, And through that time, I literally marked every verse in the Bible with the word perseverance. And it was something that she had said about, you can do this, you know? And so I remember thinking, well, I need perseverance because I got four kids. One thing I haven't mentioned yet is they're biracial. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot I don't know about having biracial kids. Um, They don't have their extended family from his side because it's just not safe. Mm -hmm. So I was a single mom for 13 years. They were raised in a uh, white majority community and then uh you know white majority church and school and so there were things through that that I didn't realize I was missing but I but I know now that I missed um with, with doing that but there they didn't really have even full extended family on my side of the family because there was so many broken relationships and two significant families stepped in and uh that was um Said and Diane Pruitt became like my surrogate mom and dad. So they were mentors to me. And then Tom and Diana Dennis were mentors to me. And those two families, they bought me a car. They uh, helped provide money for things that I needed. They helped me move and find housing because he would stalk me and I'd have to move. And then he'd stalk me again and I'd have to move. And so the emotional support, I would call them and say, he found me again. And they would show up and just love on me and love on my kids and tell them they're safe. Yeah. And so that church body was really 
fundamental for me and for my growth. And in that church, there was a church counselor whose name was Ron Butel. And he ran these, um, he did counseling there. And he also formed a group, group therapy, which I highly recommend people do group coaching and group therapy because what you learn from each other being coached is the best. And what it also created for me was a family unit, right? I had all these sisters in the room now and I could learn from sisterly love again, which I was missing. I went to him for probably a year and he met with my kids every once in a while, but really focused on me and, and stuff and all my trauma. And one day he was sitting there and he had his, I remember he would, he would always be writing on stuff. And I always used to think, I wonder what he's writing down. <laughs> I don't know if you have gone into counseling and they're writing stuff down and you're like, what are you writing that down for? Like, you yeah. want to see that, right? So he had it and it was like a book. And I'll never forget this. I was looking at him and we were talking and he closed his book. And it was another kind of a sound for me that was like a trigger. And he closed his book and he said, well, we're done here. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean we're done here? And he said, um, you're not going to come back to my office until you go and apply for college. I want you to go to the college and get tested. And then um, you let me know how it goes and you can come back. And I, you need to understand, <laughs> I'm believing I'm retarded. Mm -hmm. Literally, I'm mm -hmm. believing that I can't learn and that my biggest aspiration in life was to be a McDonald's manager. I'm not saying anything bad about McDonald's managers, but that's all I could aspire to. So he was serious. He was like, no, I'm not making another appointment. You have to come tell me when you take the test. So I went to the test. I passed the test and they said, you don't have a learning disability. And I thought, oh man, I really, I, I like, I, I took the test wrong. <laughs> Tiffany, I thought I took the test wrong. I'm not even kidding you. Really? I was like, uh, okay, wait, what? How did I, how did I miss, how did I miss? How did I, was I so bad on the test? They missed, I missed my, my learning disability. So I go to him and I'm like, well, they said I'm learning disability. And I'm, this guy has the biggest smile. Okay. So he gets the biggest smile on his face. And I'm like, I'm kind of angry inside. And I'm like, no, you like, this is no joke. Okay. So then I have to go, I go back and I tell them I need to retake the test. They'd have never had anybody who passed the test asked to retake the test. Okay. But I'm in total disbelief. Okay. Yeah. I find humor in it now. And I had to go through therapy just to deal with the fact that I freaking didn't have a learning disability. So I go take the test. I pass the test. And the lady says to me, she's like, look, if it helps you any to enroll, you can come, because I took the test from Disability Center, you can come to this Disability Center and we'll still help you and coach you. If that's going to help you feel better, but you don't have a learning disability. So I took her up on it because I didn't know how to learn. I didn't know how to study. There was things that I didn't know how to do because I wasn't taught in regular school, in regular classes. So I enrolled in school and... Um, I took computer classes and loved it and got a degree in computer informational science. So, you know, I go from thinking I can't learn to like learning how to develop software, learning how to develop databases, realizing I have this massive analytical mind mm -hmm. and problem solver that I didn't even realize that I had. And then one of the reasons why I went for that, I really wanted to, I really thought about when I took some of these career tests, I don't know if you ever taken a career test that would say, oh, you should be clergy. <laughs> like, well, clergy, I don't even know what I'm going to do with that. And then it said I could be like a therapist or a counselor. Well, those didn't make enough money to support four kids, but it also said problem solver, maybe computers. So that's the way I went because I knew I could support kids. So that's kind of my journey of being told I couldn't learn choices that I made off of that diagnosis that yeah. I couldn't learn. That's a huge diagnosis to tell a kid Massive. and parents, right? Couldn't learn to realize, no, I could learn 
I did have to take, I was behind in, in some of my courses. So I had to take some of the prerequisite, prerequisite, prerequisites <laughs> because <laughs> I would, no one taught me stuff. Um, but I got all caught up and was able to graduate. Um, and it was so cool because people at my church threw me a graduation party for, for college, which is something I never even thought was a possibility. It was so crazy. And before two days, Tiffany, two days before I graduated college, I got hired on my very first interview before I even left the building. I went in for an interview. I scored on the interview. By the time I walked down the stairs from that interview, they called me and said, we want to hire you. Can you start in a couple of days? And I was like, well, I'm just graduating. And so they gave me two weeks and I started work and I was able to get off of welfare within two weeks of graduation. So I know I've talked a ton and I, you've let me just really share my story without kind of bantering back and forth. Like, no, I like you normally do, but I appreciate it because man, I want people to know that if they're told something, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's true. So I have, I do have uh, one um, other little part of my story that I just wanted to share. Absolutely. Because, Tiffany, when I told my kids when they were little, okay, two, two to six, I said, we're going to go on an adventure right before, right before we left the house. Yeah. And, and before you left before with them. Left with them, right? Yeah. And um, I said, so you each have a bag underneath your bed. I didn't make this a scary thing. I, I was like, we're going on an adventure. So they were all excited. Okay, yeah. so they run out and they got these bags and they're dragging these bags, three days worth of clothes and toys in there. And my, my oldest daughter says, we're going to Disneyland. And I was like, okay, that's not the adventure we're doing. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So in reality, I'm escaping a domestic violence situation. But they, and my little girl is just, they're so innocent. They don't know what's happening because I really tried to love and protect them. Yeah. They're thinking we're going to Disneyland. So I was like, well, we're not going to Disneyland, but we're going to go meet family that you don't even know exist. Mm -hmm. And that was exciting enough for them. They loved it. Yeah. But after I got that job, my first job and got my career going. I met a woman who um, wanted to mentor me and her name is Kathy Hobbs. And she was doing a project for the Women's Bureau and developing a database. And so she asked me if I would come on and help her. And I was like, it was a side gig. And I was like, this will get me money to take Go to Disneyland. <laughs> And so I was like, yes, I'm going to do this with you. So her and I worked at the current place we were working together in the job I had, but then she was venturing off and doing this other stuff for her own company, side company. So I did this gig with her. I met the women's people from the women's bureau. I told them my story mm -hmm. and they knew Cindy Price from department of social and health services. So then she comes back into my life again and I get to tell her how thankful I am. Oh my gosh. Now I've graduated college. She's crying. Of course, she was like so excited. My story gets national recognition and I get asked to go and speak at the Workforce Summit in Washington, D.C. in 2001 to represent women in technology because I was able to get my four kids yep. and myself off of welfare. And I was I was a retarded girl. I don't even know how I did it, right? Like, that's all I believe. So yeah. I get to go and I get to meet President Bush and shake his hand. I get to go up there and share my story nationally yeah. that with faith, mm -hmm. with mentors in your life, with the right people speaking into you, you can accomplish what you were told wasn't possible. I have goosebumps right now. Oh my gosh. Like, guess what? Oh, guess what? We took a trip to Disneyland. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was able to take my kids to Disneyland as a single mom. Yeah. And um, it was right after 9-11. Um, so it was a little bit scary. Yeah. And so we canceled the flights because the kids didn't want to get on an airplane and we took the bus. So here I am as a single mom for two days on a Greyhound because I am, damn it, I'm determined. I'm taking my kids to Disneyland. So I don't know if you're aware of how the Greyhounds work, but you 
I wasn't clearly okay because I got four littles so I have to stop every so often you have to stop and get off the bus so they can clean it and I'm in these like places I don't know where I'm at and I'm huddling these kids and one of the stops is at three o'clock in the morning no and and it's like a six hour layover in a I don't even know where I was I can't even tell you I was somewhere in California and it was this dirty nasty (sighs) uh bus station with homeless guys sleeping you know on the benches and I'm we're sitting in there I tell the kids you're sitting on your suitcase and you're no one's getting off their suitcase I don't care what happens in here I don't care what (laughs) witness you're not allowed to get off your suitcase so we had all four suitcases set up and they're all sitting on their suitcases until the layover was over but you know what it was worth it because we got to go to Disneyland and um yeah so oh my goodness and did they absolutely love Disneyland oh they did and we got to go to we we got we went to Disneyland and there because of 9-11 the lines were really really short and um not no one was going to Knott's Berry Farm and so they were giving away free tickets oh wow which never happens yeah. Not very far. So we yeah. all got to go to Knott's Berry Farm as well. So it was like crazy, crazy. Oh my gosh. No. So all of those years of raising kids, biracial kids, you know, on my own, going through a lot of different situations, it was hard. It was, it was really hard. But, you know, one thing that I learned is that the victories that you get from those struggles is what defines you and gives you strength. It's not the struggles. It's not the mistakes. It's not the, 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 the hard situations. It's how you get through them and how you take personal responsibility for the mistakes you did do so that you can overcome and it gives you power, sets you free. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. See, that is exactly why like, <laughs> Like, honestly, every, this is the second time that I've heard this. And just like the first time, like I, I found myself not being able to breathe at some points because it's so intense. Right. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like what you guys went through in order to get out of something very, very dangerous. Right. Um, I was going to ask you, have have they ever seen their father since? No, he did um, try to contact them. He was told not to contact them until after the youngest was 18. And he tried and um, was, then was contacted again by attorneys saying, you can't. You can't. Okay. Good. Good. And um, we, you know, I've always hoped the best for his situation. And um, I don't know where he's located. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he knows where I am or, or things about me. I just know that I feel genuinely protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wish no ill will. And we were both young and made decisions that weren't healthy for either one of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, my kids had a lot of different trauma to process and and go through um, because of some of the decisions that we both made and some of the decisions I made. So yeah, that's Mm -hmm. where we're at now. Well, um, this, because your story and everything that has gone on has so many layers to it, um, this is actually going to be a three-part series (laughs) with my good friend, Gina. And the next part of this series is actually going to be with you and one or two of your children. Yes. Um, and talking about that dynamic and, and the fact that you have biracial children and, and maybe them talk about what they, what they experienced from their perspective. Yes. And then the third part of this series is going to be talking about what Gina is working on right now, which, yeah, that I cannot wait for people to hear about. And because we were fortunate enough to be in the beta program that she put together end of last year, right? Or the end of last year? Yeah. And it was with myself and James and our daughter, Avery. And every single parent (laughs) would benefit from working or hearing about what 
what Gina is putting together. And I'm going to leave it for now for that part of the uh, series. But keep in mind that the next two are very, very important as well. So today, Gina, I just want to say that I am so grateful that I wasn't going to put that video together. And, but something like, I honestly wasn't, I had the idea and then I was going to say, no, I'm too busy. Like I got way too much going on. I don't have time to put a video together, but I think it was that video that was God saying, put that video together because this person is going to reach out to you and like, it's all divine. And I truly believe it. And I met one of my dearest friends now from that happening. And I'm just so grateful that you are in my life now and that you had the courage to share this story with me the first time. And now again, I'm very grateful. Well, I appreciate you allowing me the space to share that and feel um, that if there's anything from my story that can touch other people's lives and that they can grow in faith through, through my story. And that when I come back, there's kind of the, the second act of um, what I what what I went through after that point in time, and I did get remarried, and so I have some step um, kids, and that we'll we'll expand that next time. Yep. So yeah, I appreciate it. I can't wait. I can't wait. So stay tuned for part two and part three. Thank you, Gina, for being here. I appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you again, Gina, for having the courage to share your story. You truly are the definition of resilience and perseverance. I am so, so grateful that God placed you in my life and for your friendship over this past year. Please be sure and check out the next two episodes with Gina as well, as there will be more powerful stories of love, courage, faith, and resilience. Until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.